Welcome to Two For None, your favourite cricket comedy podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Cullen, and joining me back in the saddle, the man, the myth, the legend, Christopher T. Barty. Bardo, great to have you back, big guy. Thanks, Pat. Uh, it's good to be back in the saddle, a bit like um, Jimmy from Yellowstone. Um, <laughs> you know? Obscure reference, Bardo, but sure. Yeah, well, you know, he was he was um, a bit of a battler, like myself, and he uh, was... Found rodeo. He was in the saddle, fell out of the saddle, went uh-huh. to extensive rehab. Kevin Costner yeah. said, "Don't you get back in that saddle, boy?" Um, <laughs> and he got back in the saddle anyway, and then fell off again. So, but I feel like we're in that yeah. sweet we're in that sweet spot uh, when I'm back in the saddle, uh, and we'll see if I fall off. But, uh, but uh, if there's anybody in the world who'd be happy to pick you up off the turf, dust you down, and place you back on the horse, it's me. Um, I've got a brand new beard, uh, which is very exciting. And I think that puts me in a really good position to be able to lift people off the turf and, and get them back in, in saddles. I think that's the main requirement, being so, bearded and being burly, you know? As the liftee, um, I can say your beard <laughs> certainly gives me more confidence. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And I appreciate that. So, yeah. So, hopefully, look, let's ride this wild bucking bull that is the... Um, the two for none podcast and see where it takes us and but like what a crazy time in cricket right like i i'm so pleased that we're we're back on the board to do this because we've had a whole t20 world cup has happened um the women's game's gone absolutely chock-a-block and uh australian and english cricket are pretty much imploding so here we are (laughs) (laughs) to wade into the weeds of that well, everything is old. Everything that was old is new again, Pat. You know, it's it's all cyclical. Uh, you know, text messages are getting cricketers in trouble again. Yeah. Wow, Chris. Yeah. Wow. We, we forget about that. Um, I think there's probably an argument to be made that if you get into the Australian cricket team, they take your phone off you, <laughs> and you're not allowed to have one. You know, not until you get dropped. You can either have a baggy green or a phone. You can't have. You can't have both. It's you an know? ultimatum. They actually they actually put a landline in your home. <laughs> <laughs> Trevor Holmes goes around and installs a landline. Um, Text off this, you bastard. That's actually why they call him... Isn't his nickname Digger? Like, that's probably why they call him Digger. (laughs) Because he goes around and actually digs up... um, Putting in phone lines. Like, laying cable. But he's very quick to stress. That's not a metaphor. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's a a literal statement. It's a literal thing that happens. Um, We will get to that. We will get to those respective scandals and that have been rocking uh, Australian and British cricket once we get towards the end of the app, Chris. But we've got to start with this T20 World Cup, not only because, spoiler alert, we won it, um, which is unusual for us as Australians, um, but also because it was was a pretty great spectacle, really, Mm. especially in these COVID times. There was a lot of absolutely thrilling games, some decisions that went pretty up in the air, some incredible individual efforts, Bardo, um, before we get into the tapes from the correspondence, any overarching thoughts from yourself? Uh, a couple of things I actually really enjoyed. Um, and, um, most of them actually were to do with, with the broadcast because there were a couple of little bits that I thought, oh, we haven't seen that before. Um, and one of them was they would periodically flash up like whether the team was behind, like, how far behind the overrate the team was. So they were like, you know, where we're um, one run behind or we're one over sorry we're one over behind we're two overs behind whatever and it was one of those things where my mind kind of wondered 
And you know the phrase slow poke? Mm-hmm. What's a poke? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. It's a great question. It's a question yeah. I don't have an answer to. Because I was sitting there, I was sitting there, and I was watching, um, watching the show, and and, and it was, there were one over, one over behind, and I thought, come on, you slow pokes. And then I thought, what's a poke? Do you know what I mean? Also, so, why are you sitting there saying, come on, you slow poke? Like, what are you seventy? <laughs> That's some real middle-aged man nonsense from you, pal. Don't know, don't know. But uh, I've never met a fast poke. Is all I'm saying. Um, well. You know, so what are they? But it's look, a suppose- mild insult for a person that moves slowly. Um, and is, of course, a, a very powerful Pokemon, which if you use rightly, can um, really, really mess it up. So keep okay. that in mind. Well, you know, what a middle order batsman he would be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just bring him in the ladder over. But uh, so I enjoyed that. And I also enjoyed the fielding. Um, like layover that we got from the broadcasters so they would actually tell you kind of the, the hang time of the ball that like you know that the angle that it was coming in on there so, so we sort of got some extra um innovations from the fielding standpoint so i thought the broadcasting was actually excellent um they also had like an overhead camera so that you could see Ooh. the batsman run yep. back and forward which i think they've borrowed from the video games you know like i think that's something that we've had before yeah so that was super cool. Enjoyed all that stuff. And it took you back to Shane Warne Cricket 99, Pardo, where you were just like weaving, <laughs> just weaving webs, just spinning webs. Shane Warne 99, Chris Barty, forget about it. I tell you what, if I spent as much time actually playing cricket as I did playing cricket video games, I wouldn't have been as terrible as I am <laughs> at the actual game. Um, but I had no skill. The other person, speaking of Shane's, the other thing that actually surprised me was I actually quite enjoyed listening to Shane Watson on commentary. Um, huh. Thought he was all right. Uh, yeah. There have been worse professional cricketers turned commentators. And if he turned up again, uh, I wouldn't turn him down necessarily. So that was, I thought he was all right. Yeah. I mean, he does actually have, this is a real judgment call from me. And I, you know, you call me what you will, but I've always looked at Shane Watson and thought Buffhead, you know, he's such a big unit. Um, I always thought that he was all muscle and, and nothing going on between the ears. And Chris, uh, characteristically for me, I was wrong. Um, you cannot judge a book by its cover. He's actually got a pretty bloody great cricket brain, Shimoto, mm. Um Surprisingly, you know. So just you know, just because someone's a big unit and you think they're all meat, they, they don't 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 judge them, folks. They might be a Shane Watson. That's all I'm saying. Some of that protein's turned into grey matter, Pat. So <laughs> um, I can only hope for the same thing. But uh, I can only hope for the same thing. Uh, anything else you loved about it before we uh, jump into some tapes? Look, I, th- I think it was it was nice to see an Australia-New Zealand final. I thought that was excellent. I thought New Zealand taking down uh, England after the English hubris that kind of permeated through the tournament was was also uh, wonderful. I thought the excellent work from some of the minnows was was also uh, yeah. great to see. Uh, Namibia like in particular was was pretty cool. So look, it was a great tournament. I think it it was probably the best T Twenty tournament that we've seen. Yeah, and it wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have happened without COVID. You know, this thing would have been run and won back in March last year. So, it actually gives, I think, a more interesting lead up into the Australian version of the of the T Twenty World Cup that we'll see in about a year's time. So, lots of things to enjoy, Pat, and and I'm looking forward to uh, hearing what our correspondents have to say about it. 
Thank you, Chris. Great lead in. Anyone think you did this for a gig? Um, so today, Bardo, we've got tapes from Chris, the good man, Goodrick, uh, Tom K. Hawkey, the man, the myth, the legend, our British correspondent, Michael Wood, who's our Kiwi correspondent, Adam Hassan, our Pakistan correspondent, and of course, Alex Spinks is here to talk all things Australiana. So where would you like to start, Chris? Who's, who's rocking your boat there? Well, I tell you what, Pakistan, I thought, were one of the great stories of the T20 World Cup. Of course, Matthew Hayden acting as batting coach, and some of their bowling was just uh, wonderful to watch. So it'll be interesting to see if uh, Adam's got some views on that. Let's fire him up, folks. Here is Adam Hassan, our Pakistan correspondent. Since the last time I spoke to you, I've spent two months playing cricket in Pakistan, then went to Paris for a couple of weeks to watch the French Open, and now I'm back in the UK. And things are pretty normal here. Vaccine rollout has been successful, so we've actually got a lot of freedom. And the same can be said for Pakistan. Covid seems to be under control over there, so it looks like life is slowly returning to normal. As for the cricket, Pakistan opened their T20 World Cup campaign against India. And would you believe it, it actually happened. After 29 years of hurt, 12 consecutive defeats, Pakistan finally managed to beat India in a World Cup. And we didn't just Hold beat up. them. We just a quick little round of applause there from me to the whole of Pakistan cricket. Like that's a that's a huge freaking moment. I know Adam's going to say some more about it, but but I like props, you know. Yeah. No. Look. No mean feat. We know how strong India are in the shorter format of the game. So well done, Pakistan. Uh, I wasn't aware that uh, it had been quite uh, such a long time between between drinks. So um, quite spectacular. Yeah, huge. And also, love Adam playing some cricket in Pakistan and then nipping over to Paris. What a what a continental life he's living. What a dream, you know? It's especially, what, like, how is he managing that in the current environment? <laughs> <laughs> Credit to him. Taking poles in Pakistan and then just rolling into Paris. <sighs> what a life. Uh, let's get back to it. Absolutely destroyed them. Shaheen Shah Afridi set the tone with an incredible new ball spell. Those two deliveries to get rid of Rohit Sharma and K.O. Rahul were unplayable. India never managed to recover, as they limped to 151 for 7. Mohammad Rizwan and Baba Azam chased it down with ease, Rizwan finishing on 79 not out and Baba 68 not out. That's right, Pakistan beat India by 10 wickets. Wow. It was an outstanding all-round performance. Our next game was against New Zealand, which was significant given the controversy around New Zealand pulling out of their tour of Pakistan in September. Four wickets for Harris Ralph helped restrict them to 134 for eight. We were behind the rate for the majority of the chase, and with four overs left, we still needed 37 to win before Asif Ali came in. Hold up, Adam. Sorry, mate. Chris, um, how do you feel about uh, New Zealand pulling out of that test tour to Pakistan? We were, it looked like we were all back on to get cricket back to Pakistan. You and I have spoken about this on the show a couple of times. Um, what's your thoughts and feelings about New Zealand pulling the, uh, pulling the pin there? Uh, look, it's a really tough one, isn't it? I, I think it's dev- obviously devastating for Pakistani cricket. I'm sure there would have been assurances around New Zealand safety, but by the same token, how, who are we to make that judgment about what, yeah. what people do and don't feel safe doing? But you know, I think there was a, some footage at the time of Shoaib Akhtar on Pakistani television, and he was absolutely gutted and, and fired up. And it is so disappointing purely from the perspective of what Pakistan contributes to world cricket and the place that they have within the broader kind of mythos of, of cricket internationally. So hopefully we can get um, get it sorted sooner rather than later. But uh, yeah, real tough one. Yeah, real tough one. I feel bloody sorry for him. Anyway, sorry, Adam. Back to you. 
number 7 and smashed 27 not out from just 12 balls to clinch it with 8 balls to spare. The game against Afghanistan was one of the matches of the tournament. Yeah. After a strong start for Pakistan, some good lower order hitting from Mohammed Nabi and Gulbuddin Naib, who both ended on 35 not out, took Afghanistan to 147 for 6. They kept it tight with the ball, in particular Majib, who went for just 14 from his 4 overs, and Nabi cleverly held back the dangerous Rashid Khan until the 11th over. After his impressive spell, and an excellent 18th over from Naveen al-Haq, in which he only conceded 2 runs and picked up a wicket, Pakistan needed 24 from the last 2 overs. And then that man again, Asif Ali, decided he only needed 1. He hit 4 huge 6s in the 19th over, finishing with 25 not out of 7 balls. Wow. And as Ben Stokes tweeted after the game, Remember the name, Asif Ali. At this point, it was clear that Pakistan were going to top the group, and comfortable wins against Namibia and Scotland confirmed this. In the game against Scotland, 39-year-old Shoaib Malik, who made his international debut back in 1999, scored the joint fastest 50 of the tournament from just 18 deliveries. Hold up. Isn't that great, Bardo? Like, what an amazing story that is in itself. You know, 39 years old, smashing them all around the park. Amazing stuff. Oh, it's one of the best parts of T20 cricket, isn't it? The Just the diversity of the players that, that can take the field. And yeah, 50 off 18, you know, clearly Shoal Balak still got his eye in after that, you know, <laughs> after a long career. So yeah. one, wonderful to see and, and wonderful again for, for someone with his experience to still be involved in the Pakistani team and, and help them to top the group. In some ways, it's a pretty brave selection to go and grab yourself and to pick a bloke who is 39 for T20, which is so considered to be a young man's game. You know, it's great to see your real veterans like the universe boss and and guys like Malik out there just absolutely crushing them, um, proving that, you know, having a wily head and an ability to hit a long ball isn't necessarily limited to being 22, you know? Yeah, that's that's exactly right, Pat. I think we saw across the tournament, you know, the, the batsmen that did the best job were batsmen that were good across multiple formats and were just kind yeah. of experts in their craft and and so I think with someone like Shoah Malik you, you see someone who's refined their craft who knows how to hit the cricket ball um, you know and as they say you know form is temporary but class is permanent oh. you know and, and that applies whether you're 29 39 or, or 19 so wonderful to see great result and, and I'm sure it won't be the last time we see a wily veteran do some big things on the world stage our semi-final was against Australia which set up the highly anticipated coach-off between Matthew Hayden and Justin Langer. Pakistan lost the toss and were put into bat. Mohamed Rizwan, who was in hospital the night before the game, having spent two nights in the ICU with a severe chest infection, top-scored with 67 of 52 balls, before Fakhar Zaman smashed 55 not out of 32, including some huge sixes of Mitchell Stark, yeah. to take us to 176 for four. Again, Shaheen Shahafridi started exceptionally, picking up Aaron Finch first ball and very nearly having Mitch Marsh LBW the next. Unfortunately, umpire's call didn't go our way. That moment may well have been crucial, as Australia settled and were looking comfortable, before a fantastic spell of 4 for 26 from Shadab Khan pulled us back into it, and with 5 overs to go, we actually looked to be favourites. But then... Ah, oh, Hassan Ali. <laughs> Who put that man at deep mid-wicket? Australia needed 20 of 10, a 3D bowling to Wade. He clothed one out to deep mid-wicket, and Hassan Ali dropped the catch running to his left. And we all know what happened after that. 
But despite the disappointment of that semi-final loss, I think Pakistan should be incredibly proud of their efforts. We were the only side to go through the Super 12s undefeated. Mm. We were unlucky with the toss in that semi-final, but still ran Australia very close. And there's so much to like about this team. It's a well-organised side with clearly defined roles. We've got a clinical batting lineup and a wonderfully varied bowling attack. Yeah. The side was unchanged throughout the tournament, and that stability, along with the core of young players leading the squad, is really exciting to see moving forward. I do think it's important for me to touch on the Azim Rafiq story, mm. because I get a lot of questions about why, as someone who was born in the UK and has lived here all my life, I support Pakistan over England. And I think this really encapsulates it. So for those who don't know, Azim Rafiq played for Yorkshire County Cricket Club between 2008 and 2018. He also captained Yorkshire during this time, as well as captaining England under-19s. He no longer plays cricket, despite being only 30 years old. In the last few years, Rafiq has reported the racist abuse he was subjected to as a cricketer at Yorkshire, which drove him to the brink of suicide. And the game did nothing. It was only through speaking to the media, including Taha Hashim of Wisdom, James Butler from the Cricket Badger podcast, and George DeBell, at that time working for Quick Info, that his story was heard. Yorkshire then launched an investigation into Rafiq's claims, and in August said that he was the victim of inappropriate behaviour, but not racial abuse. In September, they admitted that he had been a victim of racial harassment and bullying, but that they weren't going to punish anyone at the club. Earlier this month, it came out that Yorkshire's report on the investigation said the P-word had been used towards Rafiq, but that this was banter, not racism. Just to explain, the P-word isn't just an abbreviation of Pakistani. It's used as a derogatory term for all South Asian immigrants into the UK. At this point, members of Parliament intervened, and sponsors pulled out from Yorkshire. Then, last week, at a DCMS hearing in the UK Parliament, a select committee for the Department of Culture, Media and Sport heard the testimony of Azim Rafiq, speaking in depth about his experiences of racism, discrimination and his battle to have his story heard. He said that when he was 15, he was held down and had red wine poured down his throat. He said that racist language was used constantly during his time at Yorkshire. He said that racist comments went unchallenged by teammates and coaching staff and that these comments left him feeling isolated and humiliated. He said that his treatment at the club was inhuman. He said that the day after losing his son, who was stillborn, the director of cricket at Yorkshire ripped the shreds out of him, and that he'd never seen him speak to anyone else at the club like that. He said that he was once reported missing by the PCA, the Professional Cricketers Association, so that they could cover their backs in the event that he committed suicide. Rafiq is 30 years old. He said that racism ended his career. He said he didn't speak out earlier because he knew he would be perceived as a troublemaker and this would have negative repercussions for his career. He said he doesn't want his son to go anywhere near cricket. I'm full of admiration for Azim Rafiq. He's been extremely brave in speaking out and a lot of what he's talked about does resonate with me and echo some of my own experiences. Up to this point, so few people have been willing to share their experiences publicly because they find, like Rafiq, that they just get shut down or labelled as a troublemaker. Hopefully Rafiq speaking out and this story being so prominent will go on to change that. 
In the last few days, we've already seen more cricketers speaking out about the racism they've encountered in their careers. This could be a watershed moment for English cricket, and it's almost entirely down to Azim Rafiq. The game has let him down. Racism ended his career. We owe Rafiq a huge debt for having the bravery to keep shining a light on it, because he may have just changed the landscape of English cricket in a big way. Thank you, Adam. Incredible work, mate. And I'm so um, thrilled to have you as, as part of this podcast. Um, and that, that sheds so much light on on this for me. Um, I found that that's just awful in here. Frankly, um, I feel really messed up by that. Bardo, what do you reckon? Yeah, uh, look, you know, we often take a, a lighthearted look at um, things that happen out on a cricket pitch, but I think Adam's report there and, and the way that he has um, portrayed what's gone on in English cricket is uh, it's profound, isn't it? It's, 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 um, I don't think you can listen to that and, and, and not be moved by it. And I think uh, we probably have a duty now to uh, promote this episode as, as widely as we can because I don't think we really understand the impact that our, our words and our actions have until you hear about it from someone who's, who's lived it. Uh, and no doubt what's what's happened to a fake in England is is horrendous and we've, and we've heard some things there that are uh, frankly um, barbaric and and unacceptable and um, to hear the way that uh, Adam has has put those across uh, you, you can't help but listen to it and be affected by it and and think that you know we've got a little bit of work to do still um, in all in all in all parts and and a lot of work to do but like that's just disgusting mate that poor guy and especially the treatment of of the club around the death of his son i mean that is it's incomprehensible that someone would behave like that after such a freaking tragedy you know well i think also you know the lack of the duty duty of care you know of all the things that were were apparent in adam's report there for me the the uh the action of the club to report him as missing just in case he took his own life is, oh. um, you know, you know, you hope there's some additional context there, but but on the face of it, that is some of the, it's one of the worst things I've ever heard. So, mm. really, really disappointing and um, repugnant. You know, we're going to have a conversation later about you know about the pain incident and 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 the, that stuff, and, and a large part of that conversation is going to be about you know the fact that that cricket clubs and cricket organizations and sporting clubs and sporting organizations as soon as you're you're a professional sporting club that's a workplace and you have a duty of care to the people that work for you and and that's not that's not just uh, and you should do it for anyone let me preface it by saying that it doesn't matter if it's if it's the captain or if it's the if it's a junior junior player or 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 whatever um but i suppose it carries it it does carry a little bit extra weight because that's the, the the leader of your cricket club that's the that's the face of your cricket club, uh, and and that's just incredibly um, to to allow that to occur to that person. That, that, that that's really disappointing, and um, for the investigation to be found to be um, not as impactful as what it should have been is also really disappointing. I think it shows that it wasn't taken seriously enough again. Mm-hmm. So you know, all I can say is I, I think that just. Adam's given a, a really um, good account 
uh, of of the story there, and I think very impactful. And um, you know, hopefully, we get lots of, lots of listeners to this episode, Pat, because I, th- I think if you kind of want to know how that makes a person feel, um, you've only got to listen to that five minutes. It was really really great work from Adam Adam there on on what is a, a really torrid and, and horrible subject. Yeah, thank you, Adam. Really excellent reporting, mate. I, I you know, Chris, it makes me think. You know, we actually didn't do a, a series last year um, for a variety of reasons, but like coming out of coming out of COVID and then all the protests surrounding Black Lives Matter and then, you know, trying to come into an Australian cricket summer, it just didn't feel to me like, like the right thing to do. I didn't have the energy or space in my in my universe to deal with it. Um, and seeing how baked in racism is into institutions like the Yorkshire Cricket Club as mentioned there um, and I'm sure I you know I'm sure it's as bad here <laughs> you know I'm, I'm I'd be almost certain of it um, and I don't I don't know how it changes without more work like Adam just put in there more more personal stories like that and more you know, more people like you and me, Chris, and people in power in those sorts of places hearing those stories and actively looking to change the places that, that they work and the teams that surround them, you know, because it's, it's awful, pal, and it just can't be allowed to continue, you know? That's how I feel. Yeah, look, I think fair enough, Pat. It's uh, absolutely harrowing. Um and, and, a, and a call to action. So I think, you know, we, we've got to find a way, to, as you say, to, to do something about it. You can't listen to that and, and let it go through to the keeper, as it were. So, um, yeah, powerful stuff there from Adam. And I think, you know, also uh, one of the things I appreciate about the tape was uh, on, on a slightly brighter note was the, the um, ode to Pakistan that we got there in terms yeah. of, you know, how that team has turned a corner in difficult circumstances and produced some really good performances. Uh, Baba uh, Razam, you know, uh, leading from the front, you know, a terrific batsman in world cricket at the moment. Afridi, you know, the second time we've seen an Afridi uh, being mm. a, a wizard with a ball. Uh, he's something, somebody that I could watch bowl, uh, particularly in the short form, you know, end on end on end. Um, someone get that man a mixtape because I will, <laughs> <laughs> you know, one, wonderful to watch. But uh, Wonderful to watch. Yeah, great, great, uh, great work from Adam there. Thanks, Adam. Love your work, mate. Um, sensational stuff folks and and i think yeah uh get into his links there ladies and gentlemen um learn more about that story follow it up spread it around um bardo we gotta keep moving my friend uh who would you like to hear from next we've got uh chris the good man goodrick to talk about south africa tom k hawkey to talk about england michael wood to talk about the kiwis look i would like to hear from chris the good man goodrick i think ah if we need to think about the brighter side of life, Chris is there. <laughs> also, I feel like South Africa was a bit of a train wreck. So I, I want, I'd like, like to hear him dissect it if I can. Yeah, I'm, I'm down. All right. Here he comes, folks, from South Africa, Chris Goodrich. Sunny Bonani. Good day, guys. Good day, team. Good day, Patrick. Good to be back, guys. Good to be talking some cricket again. And um, yeah, coming at you from Christchurch, New Zealand. Um, as you know, well, if you don't know, New Zealand's done pretty well in the fight against the pandemic. And um, yeah, conveniently, I'm wedged between um, the North Island and the infamous um, Stewart Island, which has obviously gained 
um, much attention and much exposure due to this channel, I must say. Um, but yeah, it's been great on the Small Island Nation. Um, yeah, the struggle. Just a quick pause there, Chris. We are actually the official podcast. <laughs> Remember, I don't know if I'm welcome back. Or well, yeah, well, welcome full stop. I've never been. I think they're quite happy with that. Yeah, I think that's fair it's too. COVID's gone pretty well here and it's pretty well contained, mm. um, to be fair. And we've got a lot of our freedoms that a lot of the, the rest of the world don't have. Um, but anyway, let's let's talk about this tournament, guys. Jeez um, Louise, South Africa... We had a great tournament. Um, obviously, um, you know, didn't make the semis, but um, you know, we 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 lost one game um, to eventual champions Australia. Um, but you know, we beat England and we beat um, another three really good teams. Um, and and let's not forget, we we were coming off the back of a, a really disappointing World Cup campaign. Um, a lot of young South African players who really put their hand up in this tournament. Um, and if we go through through the games quickly, you know. Against the West Indies, Markram and Van der Dissen were fantastic, a, a really uh, good dominant batting display. Um, so let's not forget, West Indies are a great team in T20, so we, we cruised past True. them. Um, we then met Sri Lanka, um, and if you haven't watched that run chase, I highly recommend it. Um, I was really impressed with... Um, you know, South Africa has sometimes shown that, you know, in those big high pressure moments and, and close nail biting games, we, 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 we tend to, to lose out and, you know, and just fall victim to them. Um, but we um, had a, a great display against Sri Lanka, great run chase, a great knock from Bavuma with 46 and Davy Miller then came in and just really finished the game off with smashing some sixes out the park, which was brilliant. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I was really chuffed with that performance to see us come through that. Um, we then met Bangladesh, who we absolutely cruised past. Um, good boating performance and, and, and um, got them out pretty cheaply. Um, and let's not forget, this is a team we lost to in the World Cup. So good to see us get, uh, get through Bangladesh. And, you know, then we played England, which was a, mud, a must-win game for us. But we also had to win... Um, pretty well to to qualify for the semis. So we had to, I think it was we had to bowl England out for 131. And unfortunately, we, we weren't able to do that, but we still won the game. So it was sort of bittersweet. So, you know, a fantastic performance by South Africa in um, a tournament uh, we, you know, no one really gave us too much of a yeah, sorry, Chris. I just wanted to hold you there. Um, I, I just wanted to say, Chris, that it's, it's body at least. Um, B train. It it feels to me just from hearing Chris talk here and thinking back on their results that South Africa are really in a nice rebuilding stage at the moment. They've got quite a few things that are starting to click for them, at least in the in the shorter formats. They've been in the wilderness for a, a little while, um, and that's kind of that's pleasing to see that that's that's really good for cricket and that a couple of their older heads um uh, are doing a really solid job and i got sounds like a lot of young players who are, who are starting to get into it too it must be pleasing you know yeah for sure well they've certainly had some generational turnover recently haven't they with the retirements of the, uh, the likes of Mornay Morkel, ab de villiers dale stain hashim amla i mean those are some fair cricketers that have yeah left the international stage fairly recently so it, it is positive that uh, for, for South African cricket that they've got some new blood coming through and it, I'm sure it won't be too too long before they're a, a feared force once again because you know it wasn't too long ago that we were pretty uh, pretty terrified of playing South Africa whether here or, I, or away 
I uh, remember packing my DAX about Kagiso Robata. I think you can go back a number of episodes in this podcast and hear me uh, packing my DAX about Kagiso Robata. I'm, I'm sure that 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 has occurred on on record. Um, but yeah, that's that's bloody great to hear from Chris. And they did put up a really really good fight in a number of those games. You know, their batting's come along a lot, which I think is in- incredibly pleasing to see. Anyway, let's get back to the man. A chance, um, and I was really impressed with. Um you know, the likes of Markram and Van der Dissen and um, Rabada and um, Bavuma really put his hand up as captain and uh, led, led the, the side fantastically well. Um, so, yeah, pos- real positives coming out of this tournament, I think. And, um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it. Um, well done to Australia. You know, got to give mate. it to you. Thank you. Uh, again, Appreciate that. I think the batsmen really put their hands up in that final, didn't they? Yeah, um, absolutely. Speaking so, yeah, what's next for South Africa? We've actually got a chocker block um, fixture. <laughs> a, a, a really exciting. What what can only be, de- be described as the, a colonial battle, and I've never seen this before. South Africa versus the Netherlands in oh. late November, a couple of weeks. Wow. Um, so we we host our colonizers. Um, what and what could only be described as there's going to be a lot of Vander surnames in that game. It might get a bit confusing. <laughs> Um, and then the absolute highlight, um, South Africa, India in Boxing Day test Ooh. matches in early Jan. Um, so that'll be a ripper. Uh, looking forward to that. And then quick hold on there, Chris. Uh, Bardo, who are you backing? Just quickly, um, India versus South Africa. Uh, I assume in South Africa. Uh, India for me, just too strong at the moment in all departments despite what would probably be a relatively disappointing T20 World Cup for them. But true, yeah, yeah, still too much class and too much depth, I think, across across all positions on the field. Yep, you're probably right, but I'm going I'm to hold a candle for the Saffirs, though. If they if they turn that out, I'll be very impressed. We'll get a special bloody um, tape from Chris Goodrick after Boxing Day just to hear how they went. That's what I'm saying. Chris, put it in your diary. <laughs> you Play India in a couple of ODIs um, at home. Um so that should be really, really good. And then it, it just gets better. Uh, New, South Africa travelled to New Zealand and they come to Christchurch as well. So I'll be um, watching that hey. game and, and two tests. Um, so, yeah, it's summer to, to really look forward to. Um, so, yeah, guys, I'm going to wrap things up, but just really want to make a... Jeez, um, I don't even know how to describe this man. A.B. de Villiers has announced his retirement from all forms of cricket and just wanted to pay tribute to um, a man. A, a, what a great player for South Africa and an absolute servant. Um, I was I was lucky enough to watch AB um, fire that um, the fastest 150 versus the West Indies in Sydney, um, oh, where yeah. he did an unbeaten 66, an unbeaten 162 of 66 balls. Um, and I was just watching the highlights of that, and my, oh, well, incredible. The reverse sweeps, the sweeping was just insane. And I just remember being in the crowd in, in Australia on that day and it was in, in 2018 in the World Cup and it was just magnificent. So to A.B. de Villiers, we thank you, mate. You have been phenomenal. And here is A.B. de Villiers singing his own song. Donkey A.B. Totsins. Thank you, Patty. Thank you, guys. And as always, looking forward to watching a bit of cricket again, mate. Watching it live. 
Take care, guys. Beautiful See you soon. work from Chris Goodrick there. Beautiful work. And again, Chris, another great example of why I needed to buy a license for this podcast so we can play music like that and not get sued. Um, talk to APRA, um, AB de Villiers record company. You can <laughs> grab your rights from them. Uh, wonderful to hear from him. And, and he's not wrong about AB de Villiers. What an incredible player and uh, well-deserved de- well Bardo heading into a bit of retirement there for AB. Yeah, for sure. One of, one of the all-time great batsmen of the modern era, uh, in all forms, Pat, in all forms. And uh, 100%. if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure he owns just about every record, like athletics record, at his high school. So he was a yeah, right. He was a phenomenal. I could be making that up. It's in my brain. I'm gonna go with it. But uh, pretty sure he was a phenomenal athlete in in all forms. And and we were lucky that he just chose cricket in the end. I mean, he is. A.B. de Villiers is basically the Chuck Norris of cricket. Do you know what I mean? It's almost that kind of thing where you can make up anything and say, you know, A.B. de Villiers hit 500 and took, you know, eight wickets um, bowling his outswingers and in high school. And everyone would be like, yeah, that tracks. You know, like it, it absolutely makes sense. A.B. de Villiers ran for president and won. You know, I would believe that. Um, there is, in my eyes, there is nothing that A.B. can't do. You know, he really is. He really is a real, a real cut above. Um, but I'm also stoked for Chris to be able to go and see the bloody Proteas in New Zealand there. That's a real coalescence of joy. And it's great to see cricket and live sport and everything coming back, Chris. Nature is healing. Somewhere Chris Goodrick's going to be sitting around at a barbecue, having a beer, um, yelling at the Proteas. And that, that brings joy to my heart. Always a pleasure for an expat, isn't it, to see their home nation in their adopted country and actually i thought that was that was one of the wonderful things about the recent t20 world cup with it being held in uh dubai and sharjah and and the like you know, those are venues but a lot of expats so we still got a bit of a a bit of a flavor uh, rather than just empty stadiums just a little bit of flavor a little bit of flavor Bardo. speaking of a little bit of flavor um would you like to hear from michael the stick wood or tk hawkey the man the myth Look, I feel like we have to finish on some sort of England-Australia note with the Ashes coming up. So, let's go with our rivals from across the ditch, um, our finalists in the T20 World Cup, and uh, see what uh, Stick has for us. He's actually recently moved back to New Zealand, Michael Wood. So, him and Chris Goodrick could, you know, start their own off-brand two-for-none podcast. They could go and do it all i need is a couple of microphones and a dream in their heart and they could really make something happen you know i just wanted to put that thought into their brains um nice and early in the piece uh okay bardo here we go here's a bit from michael wood let's crack in g'day g'day the stick here (laughs) 2021 has been quite a year for new zealand cricket a year ago when i last spoke i said to keep an eye on us as a chance to make the world test championship final oh And blow me down, but we've come away with the one title you'd want from this year. Let's wind it back just a little bit. We had a very successful series against West Indies, Pakistan and Bangladesh at home. We beat Australia in a T20 series three games to two. We then headed over to England in June for a couple of tests. The first at Lords, which we probably should have won, but it ended in a draw. And then, without Williamson, beating them in a brilliant test at Edgebaston, our first series win in England for 22 years. And, by the way, England hasn't lost a home test series since 2014. Wow. That was in the lead-up to the inaugural test championship final again. Okay, hold up there, Mike. Oh, that's, that's a lot of information. Bardo, how awesome is that from the Kiwis? 
what an, what an incredible effort to especially to beat them in Edgebaston, which, as we both know, is the worst place in the world. It's it's the it's the asshole of hell, and I'm not even going to apologise to the people of Edgebaston. It's a terrible place. Everything every time anybody else goes there, we have a bad time. It's awful, and I hate it, um, and I don't like it. And that's that's my stance, and I'm sticking with it. The, the Kiwis went there to the seventh layer of Dante's Inferno without Kane Williamson, and and won. But that's that's an incredible effort. Well, that's the kind of thing you need to do, I think, in order to be world test champions. Uh, we kind of missed that little nugget, didn't we? Uh, we did. We missed, we missed that, Bardo. We missed that. <laughs> Credit to the Kiwis. We've got to hand it to them. They were pretty great. We sort of... That's a very classic Australian thing to do, isn't it? We, we didn't win it, yeah. so it doesn't matter. It's uh, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's fair. We do that. <laughs> even though we very much wanted it. Um, so, amazing effort from New Zealand, I think, across all formats of the game. And you look at their... Yeah, really the last couple of years, World Cup final, uh, stunning performance in the semi-final, uh, you know, very unlucky in the final, uh, T20 World Cup final, um, stunning performance, really uh, right up until the last inning of the tournament, and we'll talk about that, I'm sure, mm. uh, after this, um, and then World Test Championship, so clearly across all formats of the game, although they haven't probably come away with as much silverware as they like, uh, two out of three not being bad they've got one out of three so I guess that's okay um, doing great things for a country that doesn't have a huge talent pool necessarily to, to pick from or certainly not as big as, as others and from four million people mate they got the same they got less population than Sydney you know yeah well there you go I mean potentially we could get a call up <laughs> doubt it but i don't think no, i'm that no, desperate not sure <laughs> keep going though uh but one of the things i did think that was uh really interesting was apparently uh, a few years ago when new zealand was looking at doing a bit of a resurgence in terms of where they were in the world rankings there was a couple of things that that happened one they all kind of got together and realized that they'd gone away from playing the new zealand way and they tried to mm. play too much like australia so they'd model their game on the australian kind of mindset of being aggressive 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 and it was highlighted in the um, press conference in the lead up to the world cup final where aaron finch talked about playing aggressively whereas kane williamson talked about playing smart cricket Mm. and so it was really interesting to see sort of see the results and i think you know we were lucky in some ways that we had the the coin toss go uh, our way a hundred percent but i think you can see kind of the fruits of that uh, that that change in mindset uh, bearing fruit, <laughs> uh, hey. fruit bearing fruit, which I guess it does, uh, you know, coming coming to fruition. So that was um, really excellent fruit bearing fruit coming to fruition. That's that's good, butter. That's the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Going back to the stick, <laughs> Inception, <laughs> Instantia, and we won. We are world champions. A day by day, all results were possible, potentially heading for a draw for the longest time. But winning by eight wickets in the final session on day five, well, it was technically day six due to the weather, having New Zealand's highest scoring batters of all time, Kane and Ross, there together at the end with Ross's beautiful, characteristic flick through mid-wicket for the win. It was just sensational. Winning the mace was the absolute highlight of the year. In fact, it's the best achievement in the history of cricket for New Zealand. Wow. For me, growing up, Test cricket certainly wasn't New Zealand's strong point. We could often hold our own in the white ball stuff, but it was only about eight years ago, I think, that the Black Caps were ranked eighth in the world, only ahead of Bangladesh and Zimbabwe. Wow. 
leadership from Mike Hessen, now through to Gary Stead, from Brendan McCullum, now through to Kane Williamson, and the rest of them, building the culture and keeping it humble. Mm. India were and are a brilliant side, as Australia knows, as England knows, as everyone knows. But what a brilliant story it is that New Zealand won an uncontroversial final against the game's most powerful nation. Mm. It's hard to pick out any player. The six foot eight Kyle Jamieson's player of the match bowling, picking up seven wickets. The passion of Wagner, the rise of Conway, a Henry Nichols catch. I mean, you could go through the whole team, <laughs> but really everyone played so well. Our brilliant bowling and leadership has gotten the Indian team out for less than 250 in six consecutive innings. Wow. A magnificent send-off for keeper BJ Watling, who, as many say, epitomises the culture of the New Zealand cricket team. And after the heartache of 2015 and 2019, it is so satisfying for many of the same players and coaching staff. Don't worry, I'm not going to mention the fact that Tim Payne said that India will win pretty comfortably. But who am I to comment on his sex sense of judgment? Oh, and then along came the T20 World Cup final. We had a great campaign, great semi-final. No doubt the boys will talk about Marsh, Warner. And for mine, by the way, I would probably have given player of the tournament to Zampa. Oh. But just on New Zealand briefly... Again, Kane Williamson in the final getting 85 off 48, including that one over against Stark where he scored 22 runs to get us over 170. Essentially, he made Australia break a T20 World Cup record for the win, and he set a very high bar. The better team won on the day, so certainly not as disappointed as the one-day World Cup in 2019. For sure. You weren't Our bowling has been so good throughout the tournament and probably what got us into the final, but then they just didn't fire in the game that counted. Sodi didn't deal with the pressure well. Milne, unfortunately, didn't hit his marks either. Mitchell Santner getting hammered around, not picking up wickets. And Lockie Ferguson is our number one T20 bowler, and he was out, unfortunately, due to injury. And if I don't mention it, no one else will, but we definitely had the more difficult batting conditions. In Dubai, 11 of 12 games won by the team batting second. Mm. And even over the last couple of years, there's been similar results. New Zealand doesn't have great luck in the white ball finals. The luck of the toss, the poor bloody luck of Devin Conway breaking his hand by hitting his bat and frustrating when he got out against England in the semi-final. Yep, it was a missed opportunity. But we'll get one. Soon. I absolutely believe it. We're not far away. We are currently ranked number one in tests, number one in one-dayers, and have just come runner-up in the T20 final. Yeah, wow. The top run scorers in men's and women's T20s are both from New Zealand. Martin Guptill, 3,248, and Susie Bates, 3,344 runs. It's one thing for me to say it, but Pat, Chris, Tim Payne, anyone, please say it. Say it. It doesn't cost you too much. I want to hear it from you guys. We're not just the little brother over here. We're good. We're good at the cricket. Maybe even grey. <laughs> Coming up, we start our next round of the World Test Championship against India, which will be huge. Trying to beat India in India, that will be a test. Yeah. We have Bangladesh coming to our shores for a couple of tests. Then we head it to Australia for some white ball from the end of Jan. South Africa come here for some test matches in Feb. Australia then return the favour and pop over here for three T20s in March. And then we have the Netherlands coming over for some one-dayers later that month too. So really looking forward to it. For a country who has been a little deprived of test matches in the past few years, it's good to see we'll be playing some more now that everyone wants to play the world champions. So that's great news. We've also got the Super Smash starting from next Friday too. In terms of women's cricket, there's just the one series with the Indian women coming over to play the White Ferns for T20s and one-dayers in February. That's all from me. 
Take care, everyone. Back to you in the studio. Thank you, Michael Wood. And I will go on record right now, Chris, and I will say it loudly and proudly, and I'll say it many times. The Kiwis are good at the cricket. They're really good at it. It's, it's irrefutable. They're great at it. Uh, to paraphrase Larry David, Pat, they're pretty, pretty good. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty good. And as we say, for a country of four million people, like that, the list of achievements that the stick just rattled off there, I mean, mate, that's incredible, isn't it? You know, and to think they went from number eight to number one in such a short period of time, bloody phenomenal. Yeah, in incre- incredible effort. And the other thing that I was going to mention earlier was, the, from what I understand, they looked at their pitches around the country uh, a few years ago and found that they weren't the right type of pitches to help them to rise up the ranks in world cricket. Made some changes. Mm-hmm. I think they're, they're a little bit um, faster, a little bit bouncier, and that's yielded some good results. So just goes to show, like a holistic look at um, one's creating culture can yield results. Now, we haven't got that right yet. <laughs> no, we, we have not, Chris. We, we, we have not. We might want to outsource our reviews. Um, yeah. I, I agree. I think we could do with getting some of the Kiwis people in to see if they can't uh, fix this this sinking ship of ours. Or at I, least this leaky ship of ours. I could be wrong, but I think we had the Argus review. And then yes. What, wasn't there another review after I'm that? I'm sure there was another review, yeah. I mean, it's basically just a whole bunch of royal commissions with, without the teeth. It's plebiscites. You know, we've got nothing but plebiscites up in here. And I think that's a genuine issue. Um, but no, look, huge congrats to the Kiwis. Um, we did beat them in the final. I do think that's worth mentioning. But uh, they, they, for a tiny island nation, they are doing incredible work. Um, and, and thanks to the, the stick too. So great to hear Mike's voice. I used to see Michael a lot in Sydney and I'm not seeing him anymore. So it's just nice to hear his nonsense. Frankly. He does, yeah. <laughs> well, he speaks the truth nonsensically, does does Michael. So it's always a pleasure yeah. to hear from him. He did raise a good point there about Kane Williamson versus Mitchell Stark. And I vividly remember watching mm. that over and Stark continually trying to land the Yorker and... Um, Williamson just finding ways to hit the boundary over and over again and I said out loud to myself I said oh come on Stark you just maybe change it up a bit just chuck in a slower ball see what happens because you know he was, he was bowling there going for his stock ball and uh, fair, fair enough next ball he tries to bowl one out the back of the hand and it disappears out <laughs> 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 of the ground and I just sort of went oh don't take advice from me mate that was your first mistake <laughs> Bono, excellent work there from the stick. We love to hear that from Mike. Um, my friend, we have two tapes left. We've got Tom Hawkey and we have Spinks to talk about some Aussie stuff. So who would you prefer to hear from first? Well, look, I think we're going to have to hear from uh, new dad, new dad in the group, Tom Hawkey. New dad. He's got a brand new baby. Does he have a brand new outlook on cricket? Let's find out. Here he is. Hello, dear friends. Tom K. Hawkey here with your bulletin from a Brit. England only required 22 and a half overs to win their first two games of the T20 World Cup. They thrashed the West Indies after bowling them out for 55, then carved through Bangladesh with eight wickets to spare. By game three, they looked unstoppable when they comfortably beat this small and upcoming nation by the name of Australia, thanks to a brutal 71 from Joss Butler. In fact, Butler was in sparkling form throughout the tournament. He was the only player from any team to hit a century, which he did against Sri Lanka, 
and he claimed the highest average in the tournament with 89.66. However, if truth be told, that century against Sri Lanka really spared England's blushes. At one point, they were adrift on 35 for 3 before Butler's fireworks. England also looked pedestrian in the field, and from that point on in the tournament, they never quite looked right. Defeat at the hands of South Africa came largely thanks to another sloppy display in the field, and requiring 14 from the final over, they promptly gave away a hat-trick to Rabada, and the game, and tournament momentum, slipped away. In the semis, we had the rematch of the 2019 50-over final. With just the odd cursory joke about boundary counts, England and New Zealand set to work. England posted a competitive 166, with Moe Nally chipping in 51, another player who shone for England throughout the tournament. New Zealand's reply came at a similar rate to England's, but as the pressure mounted on the Kiwis, it began to feel like England were on course for their second successive limited overs final. Sadly, someone forgot to pass that version of the script to Jimmy Neesham. He came in and blasted 27 off 11, setting the platform for Daryl Mitchell to take it home for New Zealand with six balls to spare. Hold up, hey, talkie. Um, just quickly, how much do we love Niche on this podcast? Just love Jimmy Neesham. His Facebook presence, his Instagram presence is sensational. He's a very funny man. I'm all about that niche. All about that niche, Chris. I'm going to get shirts, mate. <laughs> Fair enough, Pat. My favorite thing that I saw from Jimmy Nation was this World Cup was a tweet that he, where he quoted a, a famous Kobe Bryant uh, podcast. I think it was after the after semi final win, and it's a famous Kobe Bryant uh, press conference where Kobe Bryant comes in. They've just won game two of the uh, NBA finals, and, and Kobe Bryant looks incredibly stoic and just you know nonplussed. And the reporter goes. Um, you know, Kobe, what's up? We're going to get a smile out of you. What's what's happening? And Kobe goes, job finished. I don't think the job's finished. What's there to be happy about? Still waiting for a big smile out of you. You're up 2-0. What's the story? Are you not happy or you're only half happy? Or? Still to be happy about. You're up 2-0. Job's not finished. Job finished? I don't think so. It's amazing. Okay. And Jimmy Nation tweeted after that game, job finished. I don't think the job's finished. What's there to be happy about? And I thought, you know, I appreciate that. That is a man that has time on his hands uh, and has been scrolling through the old YouTube feed and has found something uh, to get him going. So I appreciated that from Jimmy Nation, aside from, of course, his his usual wonderful cricket and uh, entertainment that he provides. Yeah, love that. Let's keep going with TK. It did feel like a fair result, with England just spluttering out as the tournament progressed and their death bowling lacked the control that it usually does. Well done to Australia for winning the tournament and beating every team they played except one, which does bode well for the Ashes. I, for one, am glad that Australia got to the final when England didn't. Those extra four overs of the legs of Hazelwood and Cummins could make all the difference. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure we'll have plenty you of time to discuss again. the Ashes soon. On a personal note, life is bloody good. Back in 2019, when Ben Stokes was busy doing what Ben Stokes does best, I came on this very podcast and swore to name my first child Ben. Well, never let it be said that I'm not a man of my word, for I hold in my hands right now one Benjamin Tobias Hawkey, born in May of this year. (laughs) He's not actually named after Ben Stokes, but when my wife suggested the name, I agreed it was gorgeous and kept the cricket reference to myself. 
So far, I think the chances of my son emulating Ben Stokes are about as close to zero as it's possible to be, thanks to a mixture of my genetics and his as-yet undeveloped object permanence. Whilst the latter will improve, he's stuck with my clumsy, uncoordinated genes for life. Sorry, son. Thank you, Tom Hawkey, you absolute legend. Sensational stuff there from TK and his little baby Ben, um, coincidentally named after Ben Stokes. Well done. He's a man of his word, Tom, Chris. Uh, we we got to admit that. Absolutely. And way to keep the cricket reference to yourself. I don't think I would manage that. So, well done. <laughs> Well done, Tom. And well done, Ben. You know, in the short time Ben's been on this podcast, he's made more sense than a lot of people. So, <laughs> You and I included, Chris. He's well, you made and better I, predictions. You and I front of the sure. queue. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, you know what's great about us, Chris, is that we surround ourselves with talented people. That's what we do, but that's, 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 our, that's our big contribution, I think. Uh, absolutely. You know, whether it's profound commentary on social issues or creating another human being, um, we have we have quite a crew here, or you know, people that generate their own songs. Let's not, of course not forget um, Michael Woods episode ep- episode. Oh yeah, from many years ago on that episode. Yeah, yeah, you know he's he's talented. Speaking of songs and talent, um, let's hear from our last correspondent. It's Alex Spinks. Talk about all things Australiana, and in classic fashion, he's got a bit of a tune to get us started. Iconic. Yes. Iconic. This makes me feel like having a beer, putting my feet up. Like it, hearing it now, I don't know how I'm not having a beer and putting my feet up. You know what I mean? Australia have won the World Cup of 2007. How long does this go for? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he's actually... If he's just put the entire Channel 9... Spinks here, and ah, yes, order has been restored. The cricket world feels balanced once more, as all things should. Nature is healing, Spinks. And it's all just in time to serve as a strong run-up into the ashes in a few weeks. And uh, let me just check the news here. And uh, no, no, no upheaval or distractions happening there. So <laughs> looks like we're going to be good. <laughs> After six trophyless years, Australia have marched their way back into being world champion. The sleeping giant of cricket has been doing quite a bit of sleeping at the cricket pitch in the lead-up to this tournament, and it took resident team giant Mitchell Marsh to slap them back into superiority. All the 1am matches were worth waiting up for. Except for the one against England. Anyway... Nearly every team member of the team had a match-winning or match-saving cameo throughout the tournament, and Mitchie Marsh definitely saved his best knock for last. But Australia definitely made it into the final on the back of half of its bowling attack. Hold up here, Chris, I just wanted to give you an opportunity, because I feel like we haven't had the opportunity for you to do this yet. I just wanted you to have the opportunity to do some gloating about Mitch Marsh and how you've always believed in him and um, how you've always been in his corner and how you knew he could do it. 
and and just you know i don't feel like if you wanted to say all of that on the record now and and it'd be a good time well, look, to paraphrase Larry David, Pat, his World Cup performance was pretty, pretty good. <laughs> um, and I had to curb your enthusiasm. Oh, boy. Hey, oh, jeez. Hey, oh. hey uh, come on. Look, you know, the thing that was bandied about quite a bit was that um, the press conference that he gave back in the Ashes back in England, he took five for and he said, hopefully Australia's proud of me now. Uh, and hopefully they are you know I think the one game we lost was the one game he didn't play you know he mm. he batted three um, it also goes I think some way to, to show the, the maturity of, of Steve Smith and what a team man he is and his willing, willingness to drop down the pecking order but uh, he showed the world that what he can do he, he had an amazing tournament um, batted superbly in the final uh, on the biggest stage uh, of, of that version of the game absolutely wonderful um, and I should point out too that Sean Marsh is still playing for Western Australia and making runs. Oh, here we go. So, you know, with an Ashes summer coming up. Um, oh boy, Bardo, turn it up, mate. Turn it up. Would it be? Would it be? Would it be yeah. an international summer without a Marsh brother being talked about as a speculative selection? That's oh, how we know geez. summer's arrived, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's climbing temperatures and a marsh up for selection. Let's go back to speaking. Singing wrongens and spinners so frequently, I don't think you can technically call him a leg spinner anymore. And the only good for test cricket bowler Josh Hazelwood, one important a game against a Pakistan aside, he lined, lengthed and knuckleballed his way back into some well-deserved comparisons with Glenn McGrath and Vernon Philander. Possibly soon-to-be test captain Pat Cummins solidly kept the run rate down without being spectacular, and our part-timers held their place with some handy power play wickets from Glenn Maxwell, and Mitchell Stark had his binary on-off cricket switch upside down again, with his economy rate being between 8 and 15 runs and over oh. for all but two games. Actually, the only thing in the Aussie team that seems bigger than Stark's economy rate in average was Finchie's front pad. Oh, jeez. And, alas... <laughs> There always has to be a loser. And, alas, once again, it is the neutrals' favourite, New Zealand. Even Kane Williamson finally revealing his finishing move of being Brendan McCullum couldn't stop the rightful 2019 ODI world champions from continuing to be the unluckiest short-form cricket team in the world. Not to mention, they then immediately had to fly out to India for some more soul-crushing T20s. (laughs) I feel for the stick. I feel for Williamson in the team. But, as Jimmy Neesham rightly pointed out, it's only 330-odd days until you can have your revenge. Because COVID messed up an already pretty messed up schedule. And that's my wrap-up. Cullen told us to keep it under five minutes, but he also told us to fill you all in a bit on what this recent chaotic world has wrought upon our souls. So I will just say that as 2021 ekes its way towards a close, and me and my brethren have now been finally allowed out of the worst lockdown parts of Sydney, I look forward to the upcoming holiday period with much anticipation so I can go and see my family and friends up north wrestle and chase my niece and nephews and relax outside with a stubby and a sunburn finally free of these four walls that have been inescapable for the last forever and I hope you all have something similar waiting for you at the end of the year and right after the end of the year my father and I are going to camp our butts up in the Victor Trumpet stand for at least four days and we're going to enjoy every damn day we can of the Sydney Ashes test can't wait 
Peace. Good on you, Spinksy. Great to hear from you, mate. And I'm so excited for you to get out there and get camping and, and live the freaking dream. Um, yeah, Chris, and I think we've got a lot to celebrate, a lot to be happy for on the back of that T20 campaign. I mean, we've been so bad at T20 cricket for so long um, and we, we played our butts off and we came away with a trophy. And that's that's a joy. We've won them all now. Um, and that's, that's, really, that's really exciting. You know, T20 is not particularly my game. I'm not that thrilled about it and there's a lot to be said for you know winning the toss and chasing but um at the end of the day we become away with silverware you've got to be pretty bloody happy about that mate and i think there's a lot of things going right for our short form teams uh, on the back of that a lot yeah 100 percent. and look i have to i disagree with you to some extent i think that something that this t20 world cup showed finally for me was that t20 and it's not just because Australia performed so well, but we saw a number of really good cricket games with, you know, great tactics and and, and storylines and question marks and, uh, you, you know, it was a great viewing spectacle I think across the board. You know, really interesting I think in terms of Australia's bowlers and and the way Adam Zampa you know bowled, bowled. and you know we've we've heard before, uh, already that Adam Zampa was potentially unlucky to be a not not to be named the MVP of, of the World Cup you know and this was a World Cup that was um, you, you know dominated in by pace in many ways but here's a guy that's just found a way you know to to stay relevant and 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 to be a dangerous bowler I also want to give a shout out to uh, Aaron Finch as well because people say <laughs> Aaron Finch maybe didn't do a lot uh, in this World Cup I disagree <laughs> um, he did two things really well um, he chewed gum and he set fields yeah you know and if there's one thing i learned from mark taylor it's that uh even when you're not scoring a lot of runs if you can chew gum and set fields <laughs> you're performing a valuable service to the australian cricket team which he did with a plum absolutely butto and you know what heading out i didn't tell you this earlier but um we had a whole bunch of new teams enter our competition for Summerhill sixth grade and we are now Summerhill ninth grade butto so um being one of the premier bowlers in in ninth grade i'm looking forward to chewing some gum when i'm dropping catches just to at least add a little bit of gravitas um to my inevitable fumbles you know just to really bring something to it well nothing lifts team spirit like a bit of fresh breath pat so If you can't hold catches, at least you can have fresh breath, you know? I think that's an excellent point. Which, mate, brings us to the, the big c- cricket controversy of, of you know, the week and the year and, and for quite a long period of time. Um, Tim Payne has resigned as Australian Test Captain following rele- revelations that in 2017, um, days after he rejoined the Australian squad, he sent a picture of his penis to a woman that he worked with. He sent an unsolicited, unsolicited dick pic um, to somebody he was working with who was flirting with over text and to make the matters more confusing um, this had actually been investigated and resolved by Cricket Australia and Cricket Tasmania Payne was found to have done no wrongdoing and was allowed to join the Australian team and become the Australian captain a job which he took on as part of a rebranding effort for the Australian team following Sandpaper Gate um, and in, in that time period was when he engaged in this activity um, and this is all coming out now as a News Corp journalist was about to break the story and Payne decided to get ahead of it. And it has resulted in a lot of speculation and a lot of conniptions and a lot of chat, Chris. And I think we can both safely say that it is not the ideal thing to happen 
um, on a larger scale for the, the for the for the upcoming summer. But more importantly, I'm feeling particularly sorry for the two women involved in this, particularly Payne's wife, um, who I think uh, it must be going through hell right now. Um, and also uh, for the for the poor woman who received this unsolicited picture, who's now the the front of national news when everything was thought to be resolved. Um, and I can't help but feel, Bardo, that it's a really weird and shitty situation that goes furthermore to prove the problems we have with sexism in the workplace. And I don't know, mate. It it's just all pretty fucked, frankly. And I wondered if you had a POV. Um, that might be more tempered than mine. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Look, it, it's not good. Anyway, you slice it. It's it's not a good thing. It's and I, and I think as we said with after listening to Adam's tape, you know whether it's whether it's racism, whether it's sexism, uh, whether it's any other form of bigotry, um, we still have a bit of work to do. So I think that that's that's the first thing that's important to note. So I think that when we do do conduct a review, um, and we've seen the CA board come out and say this to say that perhaps they would have acted differently on the findings of the review mm. and would have, would have conducted it differently. You know, when we do conduct a review into um, behaviour that's potentially inappropriate uh, or alleged behaviour that's inappropriate, we need to conduct that in a manner that is actually genuine. Um, and now I'm not, I wasn't involved in the CA review, obviously, um, but that's something that I think we need to now look at and go, okay, well, how are we doing that? You know, because we've obviously, you know, we made a joke earlier about the Argus review and, and, you know, other various reviews that CA have conducted and how successful have they really been? So what's that process? Mm. You know, who are we bringing in to actually look at that stuff? So I think that that's, that's one thing. Um, the action itself, you know, the takeaway for me is um, don't, don't do it. Just don't do don't it. Don't do it. You know. Don't do it. So why, I, why, why are you doing it, bud? It's not. It's what, yeah. yeah. It's not necessary. It's 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 silly. And I think you know, even if um, the, the image is sent with the consent of the other person, which needs to be established first. Um, Absolutely. It, you know, and I don't know what under what circumstances or how you go about establishing that. But unless you have, clearly have that, don't don't do it. Aside from my general advice of don't do it. Um, mm. You know, you're also putting yourself at the mercy of the internet and the cloud. And, you know, just because you, even if you get consent from that person, you know, you're still opening yourself up for um, a violation of privacy, intentional or otherwise. So, it's an incredibly silly, risky thing to do, which wasn't wanted, wasn't warranted. Mm. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that's unfortunate. Um, it's yeah. an incredibly poor piece of judgment from incredibly a poor bloke history. whose job it is to ha- make good judgment calls under pressure, you know, as- especially given the timing of it. It's just so wild to me to think that you'd get back in the Australian team uh, after all this time, after nearly, you know, quitting and having to take a job as a sales rep. Like, no shade to sales reps, but, you know, between being the captain of the Australian cricket team and being a sales rep is a bit of a jump. You know, it's a life goal achieved. And to cap that off with, you know, these these series of messages, it's just, it's really mine. It, it just melts me. I, I can't yeah, it's, it's a poor, figure my way around it. It's a poor, it's a poor decision. You know, the opportunity to, to play cricket for anyone at any time is fun. It's fun. It's, and, and to be able to play cricket for money, um, you know, really is actually quite a preposterous thing. You know, I mean, it's wild, right? You know, you're being, you, you know, we, I, I remember, 
I went to America about, about ten years ago, and uh, you, you know I'm a big basketball guy, Pat, and I, and I went and watched the you know watched the NBA, and these guys are worth millions of bucks, you know, and I remember sitting there and thinking, geez, you know, they're just bouncing a ball, you know, like, <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's so. And that's not to say that they don't deserve the money that they get, you know, because there's obviously um, their image is used and, and you know, their uh, their likeness and the skill, is used. The dedication and, and the sacrifices. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, pe- you know, people sell products on the back of their, on, on the back of, you know, what they've done. So they absolutely deserve to be compensated for that. No issue at all. But I do think what we need to be mindful of is professional athletes are an incredibly privileged and influential position. So that's why it's important that we consider the way in which they behave. Um, what I will say is that um, the apology uh, uh, from from and the statement from Tim Payne certainly appeared to show um, the appropriate level of contrition. I think the action that he's taken now is entirely appropriate and was the yeah. right thing to do. Um, you know, people sort of say, "Well, why did you?" sit on it for four years and 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 go along you know and 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 all that sort of thing but he also he also participated in a process in which he was exonerated so if you're found not guilty of a crime then you probably have a right to think that you know it's not going to be thrown thrown in in your face again um Mm. and whilst i'm not saying i'm not uh, condoning the action at all because again it was abhorrent and i think ca have acknowledged that the process should have been different we also have to look at at the process itself you know if if yeah. you know um and how, how has that occurred because clearly societal expectations have have changed so uh, you know look there's there's a bit of work to do uh i think across all, all formats in terms of you know players understanding what the expectations are you know even though the sporting field is not a, not a traditional workplace it's still a workplace and there are still certain standards of behavior that people are expected to uphold that apply whether you're in an office or on a cricket field um, but I think also the, the the last thing to remember is you know is that the Australian cricket captain, even though, even though he holds a particularly prestigious office, is still a fallible human being who will make mistakes. Completely. And and you know I think that that's something that we've we've seen is that this is not a probably someone that's been held up as a moral arbiter um, over the last four years. Surprise, surprise, is not. You know, and should we be shocked and abhorred? You know, I mean, we should be certainly disappointed, but I don't think we should be surprised that he's a human being that's made a mistake. So, and and he'll have to carry that and live with that um, for the longest period of time. Um, but I think we all need to kind of step back and reflect on it and go, well, we've now acknowledged this is not okay, and, and how do we do better? Uh, and then actually do it. And Bardo, this leads me to a, a bigger thought, and and you and I talked about this post Cape Town, and and you know. In so many ways, a sporting team, a national sporting team, represents the country. You know, the country sees itself in the in the team. And whether that's whatever sporting code you watch, for me, like, I see myself reflected in, in the team. And to see the things that I, as a supporter, care about, and I know a lot of other supporters care about, not being reflected, in fact, the antithesis of that being reflected in a, in a national team, is why I think it hurts our insides so much. You know, it's it's outside of the fact that we see this power imbalance, this inappropriate workplace behavior, this sexism, this incredible heartbreaking racism that we see um, being exposed in the UK. What we're really seeing is us 
as lovers of this, watching it and going, not only does this not represent my view and my ideals and what I want from relationships and, and, and you know, things in the world, this is the antithesis of what I think this should be about. This is the antithesis of what I want to be about. Um, and that conflict um, is going to take a lot of time and a lot of action to freaking heal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but maybe there's a degree of self-reflection there as well. You know, maybe we need we need to remember that. Um, is is it fair to to put those expectations on on human beings that make mistakes and and, and take the field? I don't know. You know, is that the price of admission to say that if you're going to play for Australia? You know, not only, you know, do you need to be uh, incredibly skilled at the game of cricket, but you also need to make sure that um, you have your moral, morals in check too. And, and um, because the price of admission is you will be watched, you will be scrutinised. Um, it, it's a conversation I think that needs to be needs to be had. But when I come back to things like Adam's tape, you know, that's and, 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 Tim, and the actual behaviour itself, we need to deal with that. You know, so I think there's some work from from us from a community st- standpoint to go. Okay, you know, these are human beings that make mistakes, that you know, that say the wrong thing, that do the wrong thing, that you know, take drugs, that gamble, that you know, do silly, amoral things. You know, we probably need to do more than just flip the table every time something like this happens. I don't know what that is, um, but I do think we need to have a think about it. Um, but also, I think. You know, there's a there's a also a conversation that needs to be had with these clubs and with these players, and say, hey, as soon as you accept the paycheck to play, you're a professional, and these these are the behaviours that are expected in this workplace and in any other, and uh, it's what needs to happen. So we'll wait and see, mate. You know, I'm sure this won't be the last time we talk about something of this nature, but um, hopefully it becomes less and less as we move along. Bardo, that brings us to the end of the pod, and thank you for your thoughts and your effort. Great to be back with you, my friend. I uh, have to run away and go and see Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton is running in the wings for me, and it's going to be on in half an hour, so I've got to run. But Bardo, I appreciate you, mate. Thank you so much for being on the show. Any final thoughts before I let you go? Oh, it's just good to be back, Pat. It's good to be back in the saddle. Good to be back in the saddle, Bardo. Back in the saddle, baby. We will be back on the 5th. Um, to record another episode. And ladies and gentlemen, can't wait to watch some cricket with you. Um, Share this episode around, particularly Adam's part, folks. So important that and so wonderfully done by that man. Big thanks to all of our correspondents, um, Tom K. Hawkey, Chris the Goodman Goodrick, Adam Hassan, uh, Michael Stickwood and Alex Spinks, as well as the rest of the team. Uh, Heidi Cheetle back next week, I think, to talk about some Ashes preview with you, me and TK. Bardo, be excited for that. Thanks so much, good man. Appreciate you. Hey, bud. Two for None is created, presented, and produced by Patrick Cullen and Chris Barty. Editing by Patrick Cullen. Correspondence this episode were Adam Hassan, Chris Goodrick, Tom Hawkey, Michael Wood, and Alex Spinks. Kobe Bryant clip was from ABC America 2009. Two for None is produced by Ginger Snap Productions. Check out our other show, The Isocast, in your podcatcher, and make sure you like, rate, review, and subscribe to it. Tell a cricket fan about this podcast, and we will see you when we are back on the 7th of December for an Ashes preview. Look after each other, folks. Enjoy the show. Enjoy the show.